What's up, guys? So this week we're back to the trio, the wonderful trio. So Kyle, Steve, and I, we got together, talked about my meat recap, how it went, some things that went on, what I thought about it, some things that I thought were pretty good going through meat prep and whatnot. And then, well, really it wasn't meat prep, but meat peak, but then we kind of get into some of their some of their goals for their upcoming meets, what's going through their heads, what they're thinking. Steve's doing a tune-up meet. We're getting uh, some pretty good spicy topics coming up for you guys, so be on the lookout for those. And as always, if you have anything you want us to cover, feel free to drop it in the DMs, drop it in the comment box down below. I don't know if it's a comment box or whatever it is, whatever Spotify uses. Just let us know. Um... And then, I don't know, is there anything... This is oh, Jesus recorded. Christ. I guess that's... All right, you know, fuck planning. Let's just go through it. Let's, <laughs> Let's just, just go. <laughs> Ramble uh, away, we, gentlemen. Have we ever started, a, like, a podcast episode where I haven't been laughing? No. Have we? Even the we one that I wasn't. I literally listened to the one where I wasn't here, and you still did it. Yeah. Like, I can only yeah. assume... Like, everybody should all, always assume that somebody is literally just talking shit right before we start. It usually, yeah, I wish I would have started recording when we first got on the call because that would have been perfect. See, I it was within the first five seconds. <laughs> Steve's getting trashed Steve, on. Well, Steve fucking mutes his mic like he's like cussing <laughs> me over there on the other side. He's like this motherfucker. In all reality, I just get it out now. So then I don't do it on the podcast. It's fine. It's not, you know, it's not <laughs> out of love. It's not out of like slam fucking Steve. <laughs> I don't think the podcast would be complete if we weren't uh, constantly going on about my shortcomings as a technical Because <laughs> I mean, the list is long and distinguished, so we can always find something. But at the same time, you still, pound for pound, just take me to part, so it's fine. Um, I'm not sure actually what my dot score is right now. I don't know, and I'm not I'm not sure how relevant that even is when we're comparing us anyway. So. Yeah, screw dots. Well, let's go ahead and argue the the relevancy of dots versus Glossbrenner because I would honestly argue that Glossbrenner is still the only scoring system that actually actually Jesus Christ I can't talk will evenly compare lifters in different weight classes. It's the reason why the WPO uses it. Yeah, so I'll confess to the only thing I know about it is that it's used by the WPO and it's used by multiply lifters, but I don't know much more beyond that. So you'll have to yeah, same you know, here. Educate us. To give you an idea, if I sh if I sent you the Glossbrenner chart, it is I think the last time I looked at it, it's like thirty pages long, oh, because wow. there is literally a coefficient for literally like we're talking about very very minute changes in your body weight. So there is a coefficient score assigned to every single body weight as it goes up and down. I think it's like it's like a tenth of a pound. I think that it changes or something like that. Um, but it so it's the only way, in my opinion, that evenly distributes the body weight per pound lifted. Hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. Do they ever use it for raw lifters, or is it only used for geared lifting? Yeah, no. If if you compete in the APF um, or the WPC, uh, it doesn't actually have to be the WPO. The APF and the WPC only use gloss printer. Okay, okay. I, I know that it's one of the more modern formulations. That like as time goes on, we get better and better at equating the formulas. So, have you heard about the hybrid uh, formula? No. The yeah, one they came out with. A hybrid crock of shit 
I haven't looked into it, but they were spouting that as like a the next big formula for comparing lifters to one another. So it'd be interesting. Put them all together and see which one's uh, the most competitive. They were also talking about having a a ranking system. Yeah, I mean, I know we have open powerlifting. I know that Wilkes favored light women and heavy men. But if you think about it, the most impressive lifters that I can think of are light women and heavy men. So, I mean, there was like, there was the, the complaint that Wilkes wasn't right. So we went from old Wilkes to new Wilkes. And then we went to, for like major organizations, I think, then they went to, I saw IPF points for a while. I saw a good lift yeah. point for a while. I saw, now I think we're doing dots, um, gloss Brenner, And I think I still see IPF points used sometimes in IPF. I honestly could care less about couldn't care less about uh like dots wilkes whatever it is whatever they want to use now well the my humble my opinion is, is just like lift what you're gonna lift and if you all total me you all total me i don't care what weight class you're in that's fair i think, so I, think I just looked it up and just so you're aware it is every 0.05 kilograms so okay. every 0.05 kilos there is a different coefficient score that is assigned to you so roughly so, every pound. yeah about every pound or so that is correct yeah it will roughly yeah i'm just again the reason why i'm saying it that way is because that's the the actual chart usage is by body weight and kilos and it's every point mm-hmm. oh five yeah um but the only reason why i say that that's the the easiest way to do it and in my opinion the most fair way to do it is it does actually factor in every piece so if you're in gear if you're not age and then also like I said, I mean, it's going by every 0.05. I mean, that's fairly accurate. And to be honest with you, in seeing it scored in person, it is the only competition where I've seen someone fairly evenly displace body weight versus weight lifted, and everybody has a fair shot. Like, if you look at it, somebody who's 181 can actually go toe-to-toe at 275, and neither one of them really feels like they're getting like shafted with the total, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like it's not yeah, like a 181 or comes in and just hits, you know, a 1500 pound total. And then the guy who's lifting 2000 plus is getting screwed because of the fact that the coefficient slanted one way or the other. Makes sense. I mean, it's fair across weight classes to have like a dot score or whatever it is that you want to use. But honestly, I think within weight classes, like let's just go toe to toe. Whoever lifts the weight, like one class up or down, let's just go toe to toe. That's the way yeah, I look at I mean, it. The only reason why I like it is because, and this is something that I, I didn't really have as much of an opinion on until I actually spoke to somebody who was, um, which, oh God, I always fuck this guy's name up. I'm sorry. He's the one who made uh, West Side versus the World, the film. Um, and I always fuck his name up. I should look him up on Instagram so that because I'm talking about him on a podcast. But um, he gave me a really interesting perspective as to how we could actually pull in a audience as powerlifting is concerned is by making it more competitive on the whole as a viewing experience. And that was actually one of the reasons why he said he honed in on uh, multiply powerlifting in the WPO for his film was because it became something that was literally didn't matter if it was the little guy or the big guy, as long as they qualified for the big show, it was the show. So it's not like, you know, for a normal person walking by going into a powerlifting meet, they don't know the flight system. They don't know the flight structure. 
they have no idea. It's just pretty much, okay, well, the weight went up on the barbell, so I guess, you know, he's stronger than the other guy. But they have no idea that that system could allow the little guy to beat the bigger guy with more weight on the bar, depending on pound for pound how much he actually lifted. And when he explained it to me that way, I was like, well, shit, now I actually do kind of like the coefficient system because it does kind of set it up as kind of more of like a competitive sport to be viewed rather than just something that people who compete in it give a shit about. And like from that end, it, it does actually make sense to have a better formula system and to actually give a shit about dots or Wilkes or gloss printer or whatever, because it's more about the consumer rather than the people competing in it. And if we really want to make this something that is mass consumed, we have to find a fucking way to make people give a shit about it. That's totally fair. Yeah. I mean, when you come from that perspective, it it does make sense. Well, I mean, and it's also the thing where like everybody's like, well, why does everybody give a shit about world's strongest man? Because nobody gives a shit about what they weighed in at. Like it's just, it's it's a point system. Thank you. And that's that's what makes it easier to consume as a viewer. I think also what makes it easier for World's Strongest Man is that they have multiple events that are actually dynamic events and not just static. I'm going to squat bench and deadlift. Let's be honest, like that can be pretty boring. Well, it it can, but I think it's more because of the fact that it's very repetitive and it's not clear cut. Because if it was just, okay, who lifts the most weight, then it would still be easy to consume as a as a viewer because it's just clear cut it's like that's it the weight moves and there was more weight on the bar he gets it he wins but that's the biggest thing as far as like you can be a novice and like a complete like somebody who doesn't know anything about strongman walk up to the competition and go all right well that guy moved more weight or well that guy moved the weight faster so he wins there you go doesn't matter what the fuck he weighs doesn't matter anything about that it's just that's it there's eight guys he moved it better moved more or moved faster and that's it he wins so it's pretty easy to walk in and become somebody who is, you know, who enjoys watching strongman competitions. Powerlifting is a complete open dynamic system that you'd have to sit there and fucking have a goddamn lecture system. And that's part of the reason why even people who do this, they go home to their family and they're like, oh, honey, did you do the power lifts? And normally they fucking do a movement <laughs> like, you know, they, they fucking like do a movement in the living room that isn't even a power lift like. Did you do the power lifts? And then they do like a shoulder pressing movement. You're like, we don't do that, but yeah. (laughs) I hope everybody like listens to this podcast just to listen to Kyle's little voices. That's the real star of the show. But it's the fucking truth though. I mean, like (laughs) we have, we compete in something that is literally like, you got to sit somebody down and read them a fucking dissertation about, okay, well, all right. So I get three attempts on each lift and then I'm trying to make a total. And, you know, well, who wins? Well, this is the thing. Technically, I can win my class, but I can still get my ass whipped overall because that tiny guy has a better Wilkes. What the fuck is Wilkes? I don't know. Yeah. No, it's fair. I will say as far as, like, entertainment goes for powerlifting meets, I think hybrid is raising the standard as far as the actual content in between lifting. Because I've been doing a lot of different... uh, interviews with some of the lifters going through what their game plans are what their plans for the day are things like that so it's pretty interesting to hear that and hear all that stuff being spout out there but at the same time i wonder if there's more that we can do within the sport to bring entertainment value i don't know 
think they should go back to the old like 80s WPO where everybody came out in fucking armor and chainmail beforehand and had to take off the fucking helmet and everything to get down to their suit before they live. What? You've never seen that? <laughs> no. Dude, when the old the original WPO before it re like I think it came out again like four or five years ago, but the original I'm talking the OG WPO guys would literally come out like to bench and would like stand on the bench press and they'd have like gladiator armor on and shit and they'd have to like take it off to be able to bench press and stuff. It was like professional wrestling meets powerlifting. That was how it ended up on TV was because it was a spectacle. Huh. And like this is news to like, me. That's, dude, that's literally that but that's the thing was that was how it got on TV was because somebody saw it and was like, okay, how do I make this entertaining? And they literally would make backstories for people and shit so that it was like more entertaining. Because if you if you take it and like you take an actual powerlifting meet, even if you limited the amount of people competing in it, it just becomes really hard to digest at its core for people who don't give a shit about lifting. Like, obviously, think about taking your spouse that doesn't lift to a powerlifting meet or your significant other or whatever. Like, they literally look like you've been beating them with a stick for an hour. And, like, you know, you're sitting there just, like, grinning from ear to ear. Man, I can't wait to see what he takes next. And you're fucking, you look over. And, you know, if the person who's with you isn't into lifting, they just look at you like, is this done yet? Why the fuck have we been here for eight fucking hours? Yeah, no, I definitely saw that this past weekend or at the meet and whatnot. That was definitely a thing. Mm. It's fucking always a thing, dude. You can look at it at pro shows. Like, literally. Like, even if you go to, like, the Ghost Clash, there's always, like, one or two girls who are like, I really love him. He's so sexy, but why the fuck am I here? This this is obviously not about any, like, 308s or single heavyweights then. (laughs) So what I'm saying, like literally, like they'll sit there and they're like, you know, they're always the ones in the scrunch butt leggings too, like the ones that clearly showed up to be a fucking eye candy, and then they look literally look over and they're either one of two things has happened. They've either drank too much and they're happy because they're in a stupor, or they're not. They're sober and they're fucking miserable. But that's the thing is that it's not their fault. It is literally hard to watch because it's, there's yeah, just, it is because it's a sport that you are literally penalized. Your lift doesn't count if you move your feet. What other sport is like that? Like they're yeah. a true athlete sport. Like you move your feet no matter what. Like football, baseball, soccer, it doesn't that. matter what it is. I really don't think it's that. I think it's more because it is inherently low energy from the standpoint of we have bastardized what powerlifting used to be. Because if you look at what powerlifting used to be at its core, it was very violent very angry and aggressive but because it's a family event now and we have children in the audience you get fucking penalized for fucking cussing on the fucking platform and yes i said that for a fucking reason that way because i'm sorry (laughs) it is absolutely absurd to me that if somebody gets hyped up and lets that out they're like uh you you get one more and you're out of here and like i get the intention of it so before i get like every goddamn judge and everything in my fucking dms like, we do this for a reason because it's a family environment. I understand. But you can't have it both ways. You can't be on one hand, our our viewership is awful. But then on the other hand, be like, if you cuss on our platform and you have high energy, you better get out of here, sir. Like, you can't have it both ways. You really can't. And, like, if you look at it, like, there is no way to be hyped and like, cause like you're constantly worried about it. If I get too hyped and I say the wrong thing, I'm going to get thrown out of here. So I got to really contain myself. 
But then you look at, again, I'm going to use it as an example because it is a more openly viewed contest. You look at, like, Strongman. And, like, you see Eddie Hall put something down on the fucking, you know, in whatever, like, Chuck a Rock or whatever, Atlas Stone or, you know what I mean, Log Press or something like that. He gets done and he's fucking screaming for, like, two or three minutes afterwards. That's hype. Do you know what I mean? Even though his feet didn't move. He still gets the crowd going because it's like, Jesus Christ, man, look at how fucking aggressive he had to be to be able to do that. You know, then you walk out, you watch the guy who calmly, you know, sets up for an hour doing sumo and you're like, okay, I don't care if he pulls this at this point because I have already, I need a fucking Xanax from watching him set up for an hour. Like, you know, I'm going to go home, take a nap and come back. He might pull now. Like there's no hype, like nothing. And that's the reason why when I run a platform, I'm hyping the crowd up because like I can control my hype so that like this guy or girl can get that gym environment. Because think about what we lift in in the gym. Like we are always hyping each other up, screaming at each other, whatever. You know what I mean? Even if you have a positive lifter in front of you, you're hyping them up loud, but positive. You know what I mean? I don't give a shit if you're lollipops and rainbows when you're lifting. You're still screaming about lollipops and rainbows while this person's getting ready to set up. Do you know what I mean? Like, I've never been in a great gym environment that's completely dead quiet. It's definitely true. So, I like, think it's definitely something it to be said. Why do we let it happen on the platform? Literally, one of the things that nobody is going to expect at this seminar that I'm going to teach is I understand that there are rules about queuing a lifter through a lift. I'm not talking about queuing a lifter through a lift. But at the same time, letting them walk out to a platform of dead silence is unacceptable, in my opinion. That happened a lot like of times I, this past meet I for me. Still to this day, remember my first meet. I came out from behind the curtain. I'd hype myself up. As soon as I took my headphones out, I had the back spot, both side spots, and every judge just giving me the stare like I had no fucking clothes on. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm really glad that I spent five minutes behind the curtain hyping myself up before I came out here because you guys all look like you really want to be here. Like, nobody wants that. Why is the only person who's hyped for the guy who's squatting like a grand? Do you know what I mean? Like, hype everybody up like there's a grand on the bar. And maybe you'll get the crowd. You won't lose the crowd. Because everybody's like, oh, well, bench sucks. Yeah, because you guys let it suck. Like, if you guys hyped up bench as much as you do squat and deadlift, maybe everybody wouldn't leave and get lunch. <laughs> that, that is true, though. Everybody does leave and get lunch during that time. All right, so, so new game plan then. <laughs> so whoever's doing a meet, you know, the next month or so, tag us. Because we want to see if, you, uh, if you're listening, we want you to come out in a gladiator suit for your next bench session. Let's bring that back now. Let's make it more entertaining. Dude, I'm just saying, like, I'm, I, it's not even that. Like, I'm not looking for the gimmicks. I'm just saying, like, can we get a happy medium? Like, I understand if an athlete can't cuss on the platform. I'll take it. But can we at least get them hyped before they go? For like, sure. I'll look at a kid. Like, if I know, like, a guy or a girl or whatever, a kid or whatever the hell it is, is walking out to the platform and they look scared, I'll literally clap at them and sit there and go, like, let's show me something, man. Show me something, big guy. I don't care if he's 4'2", a buck 10. I'm going to be like, show me something, big man. And, like, you can literally see his head go, all right, let's do this. You know what I mean? And, like... It just gives them something like I understand that you're worried about, well, fuck, I can't do this. I can't do that. I need to do this. I'm thinking about my cues and all that other stuff. Let it go away. You know what I mean? And if you see the spotters on the platform screaming at this kid before he comes out to lift, maybe the audience will understand that you can't. It's not a library. You didn't come to church. 
Like, I've been at certain meets that are literally, like, more quiet than a fucking, like, funeral service. It's ridiculous. And then we wonder, why does nobody want to go to a powerlifting meet? Well, they're trying to figure out what the hell is going on on the platform. They don't understand why there's red lights. And then on top of it, like, everybody looks like their fucking uncle just died. And then we're like, why does nobody come? One of the major hurdles also to viewership, both in person and like through other mediums is that some of the meets take forever. Like nobody's got 12 hours to watch a sporting event. It's not gonna happen. So something that's been addressed, I think like the Arnold just happened. And at the Arnold, they had, uh, I think they had three other high level pro cash meets going on at the same time. And some of those meets, the lifters were taking their opening squat and then literally less than two hours later, their last day. And it was like, they did that explicitly to uh, increase production value at that show to like keep the show moving, to keep the crowd going. And um, those are some of the, some of the more digestible meats that I can think of um, on the tested side, but on the untested side, the live streams are usually a mess. Like if you, like, did you try to watch the current or anything in the last year? Dude, you can never watch a live stream. It's always jacked up. Dude, A1 Digital has game-changed it, in my opinion. A1 Digital is the gold standard in live streaming now because those live streams are money. Like, I'm telling you right now, I watched the Ghost, I watched the Hybrid, and I literally purposely did it to test it, and because I'm weird, I had it on three TVs and my computer in the house just to see if any of them would start to lag, and they were all in perfect time with one another. And I got to say that that they are literally changing the game as far as live stream is concerned. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I understand not everybody has the money to have A1 Digital come out, but they're fucking killing it. Right. And, like, whatever they're doing, somebody needs to figure out how to do it on a lower scale for, like, local meets. Makes sense. Because whatever it is, it's easy to do. Because literally, like, if you look at, like, it's, it's on YouTube. It's not like they're streaming through you know, whatever it is, coresports.com or whatever the fuck, like it's going through YouTube. Yeah. So whatever hardware software that they're using in person is kicking ass because it literally turns YouTube into the best fucking streaming service I've seen for powerlifting. That's the only time I can watch a meet and not have any issues is when it's on YouTube. Yeah. That's so, the no, only I agree time that's ever worked. Like literally. It, it is literally, which by the way, as far as to go back to your original point, as far as like the, the timing. So the average APF platform that I run is somewhere between 45 and 60 lifters, right? Starting at like nine, nine thirty. Do you know when my average stop time would be for last deadlift? I'd say like what? Two thirty. Okay. Steve, what's your guess? Because you're asking, I would think sooner than that, but I would normally guess somewhere around four o'clock. Okay, so uh, Dalton is damn near dead nuts on the average. <laughs> My average stop time was like 2.10, 2.30. I love that. Um, the only time yeah. it ever ran long was if there was any kind of complication or like if there was like extra geared flights. Because yeah. the only time that I try to, to even out my pace a little bit is multiply rotation. Like if I have one multiply flight, it'll probably add on average 30 minutes to each squat bench and deadlift. And I don't mean each rotation. I mean, just literally the their flight of squats, their flight of bench and their flight of deadlifts, because I 
don't think it's fair to expect them to move at the same pace as a raw lifter. Close, but not at the same pace. Because, like, to put the straps up and everything like that, it's just not fair. Single ply, a little different story. I think that can be changed dependent upon, you know, the the caliber of single ply lifter there. But multiply, it's just not fair to give them the same amount of time. So, like, I would average, like, 15 minutes of rotation on a raw flight. And I would average somewhere between 18 and 20 on a multiply flight. And that's 15 to 15 to 18 lifters. It's not bad. About a minute of lifter then. No. And that's the thing is, is why the fuck, why are you taking anything more than the minute they have on the platform? Yeah. Because whatever is left from the last lifter should be the time that you're loading the bar and resetting it for the next lifter. If you are taking more than that, you are either doing it for a reason, which I'm okay with, or your platform crew is not running adequately. And I, and I don't mean they're doing a bad job. I said they're not doing it adequately. They're, they're doing it the best that they can, maybe. Could they be taught to do it better? Absolutely. In my opinion, it is absolutely an issue with instruction and an issue with communication and not an issue with your volunteers. Like, that is 100% my opinion, and that's part of the reason why I started the page was because every time I've had a different, a brand new crew even, my time doesn't change. So it's clearly not a people problem. It's an educational problem. But I completely agree with you that it's not digestible. And it's not, either, you, you can't, how the fuck are you supposed to enjoy that? You're like, Jesus Christ, I am still here. Yeah. I think my first meet, I got there, I don't know, probably like 11, 10 or 11, because I was in the later flights. And we, I left that place like, what, seven or eight probably? So it was a long time. Yeah. It's like an eight hour meet. My very first meet. Nobody wants to stay for eight hours, nor do the, nor do some people even have that time, especially if it's a Sunday meet or something they're traveling for. Like if we could get the meets down to maybe three, maybe four hours at most, that'd be cool. That'd be great. But at the same time, it also, in my opinion, does have to do with the lifting culture too. And like, what I mean by that is like, you look at, you look at big meets like and, I, and please understand like and before everybody jumps on a bandwagon i'm not saying there was anything wrong with this meet but you know what never mind i'm not picking a meet i'm just gonna <laughs> use an example if somebody has the opportunity to turn a two platform meet into a three platform meet but doesn't have the actual attendance and the interest then they have to do with what the best with what they can so i think i know which one you're hey, talking about now if it doesn't matter, but like my point is, is it's not their fault. It's the fact that they were going to make the effort to make it three platforms, but because nobody showed up or too many people dropped out, etc., so on and so forth. It's not fair to say, well, why did this take so long? It's like, well, maybe if your friends didn't drop out because they didn't put 900 pounds on their total, then they would have enough people to make a third platform. But when you have to assume that 20 fucking people are going to show up on meet day. But like when 20 people don't show up on meet day and they have to assume that, then why would they open up a third flight or a third platform that is like, it's just not realistic. So you end up compressing that third platform into the other flights and it just ends up being a fucking a marathon. Agree. I've never, I've never been to a meet where everybody showed up. There's always at least a flight that gets dropped. 
Um, there's always, especially on the last day, usually on the last day, it, it'll go from five flights to four or sometimes three. And uh, with, with regards to long meets and digestibility issues, my first meet, let's see, I was in flight A. So I started squatting at, uh, it was about 930. We got a later start and we actually had a venue change. So we did squat and bench. Dude, that was such a long meet. We did squat and bench at the, at Gorilla Bench Training Center. Shout out yeah. Rich and Jim. And uh, for deadlifts, we then traveled, uh, it was like 25 minute drive. We drove to a beach location and did our deadlifts on a platforms in the sand on the beach. Yeah. And we didn't now, get lifting until like 5.30. Yeah. Keep in mind also, we got there probably like 3.30 or something like that. And we had to wait for an hour to an hour and a half to get enough weights to start warming up. Mm -hmm. I personally, I only really had enough weight to go up to like 500 pounds or something. So I couldn't even take my last warm up until they got there with the weights. So it, it was a cool thing. And it definitely, I think in my opinion, probably raised the production value being able to say like, Hey, we're taking our last deadlifts on the beach, like come out and join us, you know, things like that. But at the same time, it's like, there's gotta be some better planning that goes with these meets. That way it's easier on the athletes and it's not so, it's not so hard on the uh, spectators at that point as well. But remind me though, didn't that happen during like COVID or some shit? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. I remember that not being a choice. That was more of like, that was the only way they could get around the COVID standards. Uh, well, he was, uh, able call, he was able to call Gorilla Bench open air because he's got like five bay doors that he opened and it's not centralized air. So he got past that. Like um, nobody was wearing masks or anything. And this was like uh, October 2020, I want to say something like that. But what I'm saying is, is I thought that that was the reason for like the changes of location and everything was because like it was a. That's possible. I don't think it was a choice. Oh, I don't know. I don't know why we would just do one lift. It would have been cool to do all the lifts there. Like, I didn't really mind so much the uh, location change. It was my first we'll meet. I was, I was having a shit day anyway. So, <laughs> no, I think you are right. I think it was because of the COVID restrictions at that point. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, plus, the there. other thing is, and then this was the this is the funny thing about you saying that you think it would have been cool for the whole thing to be out there is because a lot of people used to bitch because the first like three Battle of the Bays were on the beach. They were in a hotel on the beach and they were outside. And That's everybody really. bitched because it was outside. People are always you know, if you're gonna complain about a meat being outside, like just get over yourself. <laughs> like I've never understood that. Like it does suck sometimes to be outside and be in a meat if you're not acclimated to the heat, but at the same time, don't not do a meat because it's outside. Like, uh, what was the last one? The last one that I not nightmare. this past one, but the yeah, the nightmare. That one was outside. And I heard a number of people say, oh, if I'd have known this meet was outside, I wouldn't have signed up for it. It's like, dude, you're doing nine lifts. And yeah, it's outside, but you're in the shade and everything. You're underneath the tent. If you can't hunk it out for nine lifts, there's probably a major issue either in between the ears or in your conditioning or nutrition, whichever one. But dude, it's nine lifts. It's not that bad. If it's a hundred plus degrees outside, that's one thing, but it's not that bad. I don't know, man. I, that's part of the reason why I had said something the other day, as far as I will always train 
in no AC and no extra frills so that it doesn't matter what I show up on me day. I'm not the guy bitching. Yeah, I agree with that. Because if I train no frills and show up and there is frills, it's just a good day. Yeah. Yeah. 100% agree. Speaking of that, how's y'all's meat, meat prep coming? Good little segue. Steve, go first. <laughs> you want me to go first? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, please, for the love of God. Let's see. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm 14 weeks out right now. Um, so I'm still just doing like generalized volume stuff. I'm actually going to take the next couple of weeks and rework my programming to really see um, my knee's been linearly getting better. Like I've been able to tolerate more and more tonnage, more and more load, more frequency. Um, and I'm almost back to the point where I was before like the owie started, but uh, I'm hoping to take these next two weeks and see if I can't really get through it a hundred percent before my next knee prep. Um, because this squat is really, I mean, I haven't PR'd my squat in like, forever this knee has just been really really holding me back um i feel you yeah but after those two weeks i'll be 12 weeks out i'll go into meat prep um i'm doing this meat at 220 in sleeves um the goal is a 450 dots and probably like a 1570 total something like that be cool yeah very nice and dalton you just you just competed last weekend correct yeah. So I, I uh, competed at Alpha Iron Gym in Pleasantville, Texas. So pretty cool little venue. Uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and talk about that then. Like, so my meat prep going up to it. So for those that don't know, for our listeners, I chose this meat probably, I don't know, maybe with four or five weeks to prep for it. I think it was like 21 days. <laughs> No, 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 no. I had 30. I had 30, I had 30 plus. Yeah. It might've been Oof. only like two over 30, but <laughs> such adequate prep time, but to Much say like, such well. I, Hey, I'll toot my own horn. Like for the time I had, I think I did a pretty, uh, pretty solid job with what I had <laughs> after just coming off an injury. Yes. You looked great. <laughs> I'll get into that. <laughs> I'll get into that later. Um, but I'll stick with the meat prep for now. So I, for those that don't know, I injured my leg, my quad specifically, uh, probably October ish timeframe of 2021. And then I rehabbed that up to, what was it? February of this year. And after that, the only squats I'd been doing were tempo five second tempo squats. I had an all time PR of 500 pounds. So that's pretty cool. But after that, decided to jump into a meet. Like I said, had maybe four or five days, or not days, but weeks to prep for it. So that went, uh, it went pretty good for squats and bench press. Um, deadlifts were kind of a dumpster fire and just very back and forth. So I pulled 705 four or five weeks out. Pretty solid. I remember sitting, sitting at the Steve, and Steve was like, yeah, you're going to load more. So... Uh, and then pulled 675 after that. And when I was supposed to take my heaviest deadlift of prep, I missed my opener at 661. Didn't budget, couldn't move it. Uh, so it was a pretty good learning experience as far as the way I structure things throughout the entirety of the week and not just the 
meet prep. So I think there could have been some things that could have been moved around. Um, but yeah, no, I ended up hitting on the meet itself. I was five pounds off my all-time squat PR raw and sleeves, which was 638. I squatted 620 or 633 squatted, squatted 628. Um, I don't know if I could have squatted 630. Uh, it was pretty, pretty it slow. Was, so it was well called. It was a really well-made attempt. Yeah. I don't think it was slow. I think you just, I think you made the right call because I think you were still being fairly timid about the quad. Probably. That's what it looked like to me. It didn't yeah. look like slow. It looked like intentional. That's what I would say. Yeah. Uh, for bench, I ended up with 402, 385. That's my opener smoked that. Because literally, you just fucking just sidestepped that compliment entirely. You're just like, fuck <laughs> No, I, I take it. Like, it, it definitely was timid, but at the same time, I was confident in it. That's for sure. Timid, goddammit. It was intentional. Again, motherfucker. Stop. <laughs> But uh, bench 402, I took 413, completed it. Um, 402, the issue I had with 402, I did hit that and I did get it, but my feet started sliding. Um, so for USPA, you have, I don't know if, I don't remember if it's an option or if it's a requirement that on the platform you have carpet, but there was no carpet at this one, which whatever, it's not the excuse that I'm going to use. I just wasn't, I didn't execute. It wasn't technical enough. So uh, my feet started slipping, so I changed the way I pushed through my feet on my third attempt. I took a gamble, and I lost. I still slid, and I popped my butt off the bench. So I ended up missing 413 on technicality. Still pressed it, and it still it felt amazing, moved great. I think it moved probably the same speed as my 402 did. So that's really reassuring. That's really nice because that's probably – I put the most of my bench press this past year than I have ever. So to be able to go into a meet and know, okay, I'm going to bench press over 400 pounds now, feels pretty good. Uh, deadlifts, that was, <laughs> God, that was such a cluster. So again, there was no carpet or anything like that. I'm not saying that's the issue that I was having. I don't think it is. I think it has more to do with my foot placement. So I'm not going to blame the judges. I'm going to blame me, myself as a lifter, which brings up another point I want to get to after this. But at the same time, um, I think they called squats really well. I think they called bench really well. Deadlifts, I was a little confused at how they were calling. They were calling a lot of soft lockouts for a lot of lifters. So it is what it is. But they definitely, I missed my opener, 661, took it again, got it. And there, when you look at the video, in my opinion, there's not really anything different from one to the other. The side judges gave side judges gave me the second one. Front judge said, "Hey, this is not up to par." And I said, "All right," which it is what it is. Um, he was looking for me to get my hips through a little bit more, which I guess just wasn't happening. But on the 705 that I took, I completed the lift and I stayed awake, which was goal number one. So. Be proud of me, Kyle. I stayed awake on that one. <laughs> it was don't die was goal number one. Stay awake was goal oh. number two. So no dick kick for you this time. <laughs> but uh, 705, 100% agree with the call. It was a soft lockout. My knee was bent. My hip wasn't all the way through on the right side. 100% great call. I completely agree with that. 
I will not argue that whatsoever. So that's a standard I've got to pretty much bring myself to is making sure I lock everything out. And I think part of the reason, again, is just from my foot placement. I started toying around that today while I was deadlifting. And I think I... I think I'm going to go back to a more open to, uh, toed foot instead of a straightforward foot. I think part of the reason is, you know, I'm not getting my, my hips through and at the sacri- sacrifice of a little bit of torque at the hip, I'm just going to go back to the open toe because that seemed to be a little bit easier on me as far as like getting my hips through and locking everything out. It allows so. for more external rotation at the femur too. Like you'll have a, like, I, if I notice in my sumo back downs, if I start bringing my toes too far in and coming too far parallel, I will get like those soft knees and I'll have a hard time getting my hips through. Yeah. But if I can go toes out a little bit better, externally rotate at the femurs, it, I'm able to get my hips through much easier. Like, cause my sumo. Well, so that's the, that's part of the thing. It's like, it's not the, I get more active external rotation with my feet more forward, which makes complete sense because you have, you're not externally rotated, externally rotated passively at that point. So you have to actively rotate more. Right. Yeah. When you're, when you're out like that already, you're passively already externally rotated, depending on how much you are, you know, I'm not doing Yuri Belkin, like my feet aren't pointed towards the weight, but at the same time, it's easier on the, the hip and knee to lock out that way. But yeah, so that's how my meet went. Um, I'm really happy with the data I got from meat prep and, uh, peak and everything. So I'm really happy with that. I'm happy with how the performance was overall for me, but, uh, I still walked away with a, I think almost 50 pound PR total. So I'm not gonna, you're not gonna hear me complain. Yeah. I'm disappointed, but at the same time, you're not gonna hear me complain about the outcome of the meat. So I almost totaled 17 raw. I was nine pounds away. <laughs> so yeah, it is what it is. No bad days. No, it's all data. I, like plain and simple. The one thing I will say is that if you're a lifter out of meat, don't argue with the judge. It was amazing how many people I saw at this meet that came off the platform and went straight to the judge to argue. Look, you can go and you can ask them like, hey, what did I do wrong? What do I need to work on? I did that. But don't go up there and argue with them. Accept the call, even if it's trash. If it is immensely trash, yeah, you can argue that off the platform with the meat director maybe. But it is what it is at that point in time. Like, Just take a athlete's mindset with it and just go with the flow. You go on to the next lift. I had a, There was a guy who was set up next to me, and he got off he got done with squats and everything and he came back and he's like, yo, they called me uh, all my depth and it wasn't, I was hitting depth. I hit depth, all meat prep. And I, I was literally sitting there watching him and he was about an inch and a half shy from hitting depth. And I was like, yo, just accept the call. Like you didn't squat to, to standard. Like it is what it is. Move on to bench press. We had something similar at battle of the Bay. Um, there was an athlete who I want to say it was his opener and, uh, he went to go bullet conventional and he kind of like misgrooved it off the floor and his hips came up and his knees came back and he's a real lanky guy. And there was some downward motion in there and uh, he got red lights and he was firing mad. And thankfully his team got him back into the warm up room where you're allowed to like express yourself more fully. 
because yeah. he knew not to go up to a judge and express himself to a judge. And thankfully he had good team. I mean, it was a uh, Virgil Diaz. He went up to him and he was like, kid, what the fuck do you want? There was downward motion. Like you can fucking cry yeah. all you want, but that lift was shit. You need to do it better. And old boy went out there, smoked it, smoked his third. And then he tried to pull, I want to say he tried to pull for a fourth for a national record. So he still ended up having a good day, but I mean, he was thankfully able to control himself. Cause I've seen veteran lifters argue with meat directors, with judges. There was like, there was almost multiple fist fights at Battle of the Bay. Uh, what was that? 2018? Yeah, there, <laughs> it, it, it was. Yeah, bro. It was. Well, I know you know what I'm talking about too. It was. Like, I'm not going to get the details and name names, but like, bro, it's. It, <laughs> I've seen some crazy. That one did lawsuits. Yeah, I like. I, yeah, so. Um, I plead the fifth. Yeah, yeah right. pretty much. I, I know you were there too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but that's the thing is like, don't argue with the judges. Accept the call. Like, yeah. Be yes. a man or woman, whatever you want to be, depending on the day. I don't know. I'm not going to go into that. I've probably already said too much on that, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> but just accept the call. Like, it's not the time to argue. And what pissed me off with him is like, he wasn't a new lifter. He was more of a veteran lifter. And it was like, wasn't he what trying kind to of 700? What? Wasn't he trying to squat 700 or some shit? Yeah, it was like 7, 738 or something. <laughs> and that was the thing. I was like, you're not a veteran. You're not a, you're not a novice lifter at that point. Yeah. Like, you've been around this enough to know what you're doing if you're squatting 700 plus pounds. And if you're not, and you don't know what you're doing, I hate you. Uh, please don't ever DM me. I don't want to talk to you because like, you suck for being like that. <laughs> and for our lifters, like when you go to a meet, there is always going to be at least one judge that is that guy. Yeah. Like in Florida, the USPA meets, there's multiple judges that we know by name. And if you look over and you see them in the side chair, you just got to take the L and accept that you're going to have to squat really, really deep. Um, and sometimes you get those judges and that's just part of the sport, man. Like no, nothing's perfect. Like, nothing's ever perfect. <laughs> My opening squat. I, <laughs> I, uh, I was standing next to the guy that I was going like squats for squat for. And I looked at him and I was like, well, here we go. It's either going to be a good day or it's going to just, you know, go downhill from here, but <laughs> let's just go with the flow. <laughs> so, and so then I went out there and I squatted and I came back to the, the, the table to put my next attempt in and the guy was like dude that was a great squat it was deep and i was like really oh cool i've been squatting high on prep <laughs> so <laughs> okay so speaking of prep kyle you got a meet coming up how many weeks out are you nine technically nine, nine. <laughs> you sound so sad right now <laughs> and what are your goals for this uh tell us about this meet are you doing it raw raft um federation but... it's a apf meet showdown at the storm um oh that's gonna be lit yeah yeah that's gonna be so good. Gonna get, my my asshole is prepped and ready to be bent over by the largest fucking 308 class i've ever been a part of okay. and uh yeah i'm gonna get railed yeah i'm gonna go um, but it's okay um I literally just figured out this week that uh, while I've been focusing on getting my squat to pattern better, that somehow I have literally taken my entire successful deadlift setup and pretty much slowly trashed it week by week. And 
Yeah, no, and I think that's uh, that's a big factor is that because the knee was so beat up that uh, I stopped using my fucking knees mm. and pretty much started doing a, for lack of a better description, a ballistic RDL. Yeah, no, that's a perfect, like you, you yank, you're like your slack pull with your sub scap is super hard and then you catch it with your legs. Yeah, and the thing that sucks is that as my slack pull has gotten stronger over the years, I have become less and less aware of how little I'm using my knees. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the way that I pulled 722 in my last meet, my knees were touching my elbows. Yeah. And if you look at the way yeah. that I was trying to pull a deadlift for diabetes, my knee is probably an inch away from both of my elbows. I had that was something I, wonder... I was going to bring up is like your knee travel is different. Yeah, I had. Yeah, and the thing. Yeah. Good. I I not I would not really seen you deadlift before, and I was watching you on the day, thinking like, damn, he's got a really stiff leg deadlift. Like he's got a he's got a, a lot of um, a lot of backward knee travel when he sets up. Yeah, and the thing that's really irritating about that is that's something I really kind of already had addressed previously, and as everybody I'm sure at home who's been doing this long enough knows we constantly end up retraveling the same path so yep. i'm going to be spending some time taking a lot of time with my warm-ups and sucking less um because i really think that i have a shot at a mid seven pull like 750 and i think that i can absolutely do it but if i keep deadlifting like this i'm probably going to have continuous tweaks like what happened pulling 730 because when I pulled 733 at deadlift for diabetes, I am 100% certain at this point that that was because the bar was so far out in front of me that I tried to do the exact same ballistic bullshit and some form of connective tissue in between my the long head of my tricep and my lat overlap just decided you're out of your fucking mind if you think we're going to bounce this off the ground and go. And on top of that, I'm uh, probably going back to the drawing board on my bench again. You're so, the, the 315 you sent us the other day was looking choicely patterned. Yeah, it was I, looking I pretty appreciate good. That, but the problem is, is that I think I'm going to have to bring my grip back in some. Mm -hmm. Because I was trying to train to go back to my old grip, which is indexes on rings, pretty much the legal limit of width. Maxley, and yeah. it was working very well until I really got up into that top end range and some heavy band work on my dynamic effort days that uh, is really showing me that I either have to over tuck and lose all of my velocity to protect my pec and shoulder or I under tuck and then I end up flaring super heavy on the that last little bit of extension in the lockout. And that's literally how I developed the slap tear on my right shoulder. So I don't have any intention of doing that again. Mm -hmm. So I am kind of in the process of evaluating that and hoping that, because I really thought for a while that I had a shot at overshooting the 400 pound bench and going right back into like a 420, 430, maybe even 440 bench. And as of two days ago, I hit a three by two um, with 85% and it moved okay, but 
it was just intentional. Like it wasn't fast. It wasn't speedy. It was consistent, but it was just, there was no force behind it at all. That's how my bench is right now. Since that's how my bench has been post me, all my lifts really. So back to the drawing board on that and retraining my deadlift and hoping that I don't completely fuck my shit to all hell. But I did just hit a 30 pound PR on my squat and it happened to also be on a specialty bar. So that was on Sunday, but so Buffalo bar, right? this may, yeah, well, tech, yeah, I guess it was more of a Duffalo or not a, uh, I don't know if it was a Duffalo or a Buffalo. I don't know. It was a whatever. fucking bow bar. <laughs> yeah. It's a real fucking bow bar. That bitch was solid as shit and 62 fucking pounds. So, um, but, uh, even though it threw me forward as I'm sure anybody who's ever squatted like a mid bar, high bar with a. Yukon, Duffalo, Buffalo, whatever the fuck you want to call it, bow bar. Any, any camber um, bar. It, uh, yeah, it chucks you forward hard as shit, but I was yeah, still able does. to grind through it. And that was also on a 12-man rotation, so we were spotting in between. So I had a fair bit of uh, fatigue in the tank at that. Yeah. So literally, I was, I was like spotting eight squats, taking two squats off to wrap my knees, and then jumping back onto the bar. It'll be interesting what you do at the meet whenever you actually shed the fatigue. I think you'll be surprised. Well, the thing that's absolutely sick too, is that like my dynamic effort days and like, it's the one thing that I'm really holding on to right now, because the funny thing is, is that the one thing I didn't think was going to be there easily with, because of my knee was my squat. And right now my squat is literally looking better than all of my other lifts because like today I had an eight by two followed by a two by five or three by five. With 345 in bar weight plus 200 and no, just under 200 in bands. So it was like 504, 505 at the top. And that moved really well. Do you think that's because of the knee though? Like the hyper focus on the knee? No, I, because, I think it's because I was squatting terribly for five years. Um, I was, <laughs> and by the way, this is 100% true. Like if you break all knee first in your squat, like an Oli lifter, and you are over, I would say, 5'10", I would strongly suggest that if you're not in a meat prep right now, you take a look or talk with your coach or whatever you want to do at breaking at the hips first because fucking goddamn, I wish I had done this like two years ago, three years yeah. ago, whatever. I've had that conversation with a couple of clients before about like, yeah, you can break at the knee, but if you're going to break at the knee, you're probably going to run out of room for the knee to travel forward first. And then you're going to have to push back into the hips. But then if that's the case, you're probably going to end up folding over at that point. So if well, we just me, break I... slightly at the hip first and then go through the knee, one, we're loading stronger structures first, which is what we want. Correct. And then two, we're able to actually pattern into this because, which I'm sure you both know, it's like, you know, the hamstring controls the tracking of the knee. So if we can load that and load into it and then push out of it, that's going to be a better squat regardless, in my well, opinion. The, in my particular case, and this is something that the only reason why I'm going to say it this way is because it really, I wish I would have looked at this differently because I always cued my lifters or people who wanted help from me that you need to break at the hips. But the thing is, is that the reason I never really looked at it myself that way was because I genuinely, and I, I mean this hundred percent, this is not me just trying to backtrack over my own stupid mistakes. I genuinely thought I was breaking evenly 
between both. Because if you watch my videos and if you watch anything, it genuinely looks like my hip was breaking at the same time as my knee. And it doesn't matter if you're reading books or listening to other power lifters, there is the option of breaking evenly at both the knee and the hip to initiate the squat. But the problem is, is that you have to understand that if you're not doing it intentionally, you may not be doing it at all because for, as you're moving, that hip is going to look like it's breaking as you're going over. But the huge tell all to me that I wasn't doing it was the fact that I constantly, every time I got up to a maximal lift that either being by weight or by repetitions, I always felt like I was crushing myself by pulling down on my lats. And the reason why I felt like I was crushing myself and having my hips shoot out from underneath me was because I was pulling the bar down. And because of the fact that I was traveling all knee, my bar was ending up over the ball of my foot or damn near my toes at the bottom of my squat. So if you looked at my bar path from a perfect side angle, my bar literally made a damn near drastic drop straight towards my toes and then i would pretty much good morning it right back into place mm -hmm. and that was the big tattletale of the fact that my hips were not breaking evenly because the bar was not staying over my midfoot and as soon as i started breaking hips first everything started feeling better the pressure came off of my knee and all this other stuff and obviously you have to take time to heal the tissues that are now beat to shit so yeah. it's not perfect but at the same time now i'm having to go back and you know, wait for my knee to be able to load my deadlift correctly again. So I don't even know how I'm going to get that to work again, because my knee is so smoked from being loaded into for years of just beating the snot out of those connective tissues that who the hell knows how my deadlift's going to go this, this go around. So seriously, if you're not actively sitting, I don't want to say sitting back into your squat, but if you're not actively initiating your squat, like you really might want to look at it. Yeah. Especially I think also to, the one thing to look at too, is look at your side, side profile. Correct. And look at, are your hits already back? Yeah. Because if that's the case, you can just drop straight down. You don't have to load into the hips because you're already loaded. Let's see. I would also argue that you may not be really picking the weight at that point, because if you're, if you're slightly but, canted forward out of your pick, did you really get glute engagement from the pick or are you literally essentially just kind of hinging yourself like a, almost like a light good morning? I have seen so many people do that here recently. And I'm talking with serious weight, like decent squatters that are damn near good morning their weight out of the rack rather than yeah. getting their hips underneath them on the pick. They just do like a, for lack of a better description, a, like a good morning and an RDL at the exact same time. And they just like flick their hips underneath them. And then as they walk out, you just see them slowly cant forward. So they don't have to initiate at the hips because when they break at the knees, their hip is already essentially broken back. Some. Exactly. That was me for a long time was picking it through my hips. Granted, now I've switched more of a, uh, a pick with the knees. It was kind of like yeah. an eight squat kind of, but yeah, no, I mean, if you're already, if you're already picking like that, you may not have to push nearly as much and also realize when we say pushing into the hips and loading into the hips, it's not a drastic thing. I can use myself as an example, just even, I don't know, three years ago, two, three years ago, when I first started competing and everything, it looked, I had very, very much probably more of a geared squat resemblance than anything else. Like I pushed super hard back into my hips. 
had more of a straight up and down shin then it turned into a good morning because one i wasn't in gear so and two i wasn't wide enough to have a squat like that i had no forward knee travel really so it's about it's about finding that happy medium for you agreed no i agree steve's over here like i'm not talking about my squat well i mean (laughs) especially the degree that you have to sit back initially is going to depend on your femur length like yeah it, that, like that is that is the literal the femur length and bar placement is what's going to determine how far back your hips have to come like ultimately and like the longer your femurs are relative to the rest of your levers the more you're gonna have to sit back so for me i don't think about breaking at the knees at all like i'm literally thinking about trying to keep a vertical niche in and sitting my hips back but because of human mechanics my knees still bend like they still come forward but uh yeah as a lanky leggy ass low bar squatter can confirm sit back You really Agreed. think about keeping a vertical shin? Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, otherwise, man, you should see how far, like if I high bar squat or if I like bring the bar, cause I'm like, um, my build is like weird. As far as like, if you take the ratios of my body, um, I have a really short torso and long femurs and so I'm in low bar. But if I move the bar up higher and I try to keep like more an upright torso, my knees will come like four inches past my shins. Like it's like a crazy degree of knee travel. So I, I try to like sit back and I, when I was a novice lifter, I used to be able to squat in flats. Um, and as load got higher, I started to run into this recurring pinching, pulling in the front of my hips, like in the, the anterior region of my hip flexors. And I was constantly pulling hip flexors. So I started wearing flats just to make getting depth into the hole or wearing heels just to make depth into the hole a little bit easier. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I think it's another topic too to hit on is, you know, depending on what kind of shoe you wear. Granted, it's not going to change much, but if you already have a, a lifted heel, you're going to be able to push into your knees a little bit more. You won't have to have as much hip travel at that point. Well, it's interesting because I do wear um, Olympic heels, like they're one and a half inch heels. And I also have 0.5 inch heels that I wear. I used to wear, or I do wear from time to time still. And, um, it's not a mobility restriction thing. Like I still have a ton of, I can get a ton of forward knee travel in my ankles and my knees. Um, it's just comfort. It's just like being able to consistently hit depth because I have really like narrow hips. My hips open directly forward. As far as like being able to, to adduct my knees outward, I don't have any mobility or flexibility in my groin and I get a ton of pain in my hips when I try to do that. So I squat with a fairly narrow stance. Like it's a little bit outside of my shoulder width, but not much farther. And because of that, my knees ended up having to go forward and I end up in like this, uh, this weird spot where I don't want my knees to go too far forward and I need to keep the bar over the, over my midfoot. And that involves a lot of forward torso travel because I'm, because my femurs are so long, which sucks, but we do what we got to do. And the fact that I can't bench is the fact that I can't bench is just more because I suck at bench. I don't really have any good excuses. On squats, I can like make like actual like lever and like I can like break it down and like physics terms for the smart people. But on bench, I don't really have any good excuses. I do have long arms, but they're not like that long. Okay, so Steve can't squat uh, or bench. Kyle can't bench, and I can't deadlift. All right, <laughs> that's what we've learned for this podcast. Apparently, <laughs> we just like pinch hit for one another and meet. Like, yeah, exactly. I'll come, I'll come in and deadlift for both of you. 
Um, we'll see how my squat goes to see if I need a pinch hitter on squats, but then like, who the fuck is going to bench? I'll squat. Uh, can we take your weight class then? Because no offense to you, I love you to death, but your squat's going to get eaten alive in my weight class. <laughs> you'd have to average your weight for sure. It, and you'd yeah. probably average around like two, 260, 270 ish. Probably be right. Let's. Yeah. Okay. So for, for the next meet, I want to hear y'all's predictions. Like, what do you, what do you want to go for next meet? Are we trying, are we trying pie in the sky? Or are we talking realistic right now? Because I'm going to have a real fucking depressing viewpoint right now. Like, I, th- I think this is going to be something that's going to have to be asked like in a few times. That's All fair. Right, I, whichever no, way. No, no, both. Let's go both. Fuck that. I'm going to fix this tomorrow. I'm going in with my wife and literally I'm not going to leave until I can fucking deadlift right again. Uh, even if I blow my knee to pieces and then worst case scenario, I could be like, Oh look, it doesn't work anymore. I'm out. Um, <laughs> Bench only. <laughs> fuck that <laughs> absolutely not why the fuck like literally like if i went bench only i would also be like oh by the way guys i'm going into fucking multiply and i'm just gonna wear a shirt that doesn't fit real good um now steve do you want to go first with predictions since i've already rambled my dick yeah, sure. fucking um, shit over here so i've got a meet uh, i've got a meet in 14 weeks that's in a smaller local fed and i'm doing it i'm doing it to meet some like local young lifters i was asked to come and kind of um uh kind of show kind of bring some depth to the meet i guess um which is cool and it's a good tune-up meet for me like five weeks out from uh, the meet that i care about which is the iron nightmare so at this meet i will probably shoot for because we're using pound plates who what they're using uh, pound plates in the nightmare <laughs> no 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 no, no 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 uh, raw united yeah no no no, no. <laughs> yeah, so because, because this will be on pound plates, I'll probably go for a like a low five squat, a four oh five bench, and I would like to see a six seventy five deadlift. Like if we're talking like deep dish Ivankos and a Texas power bar, I'm pretty that sure I'm good been. for like I'm pretty sure I'm good for the seven plates, which would be fucking lit if I could pull seven plates on it. <laughs> if you're pulling pound plates and you don't pull seven hundred, I'm gonna hurt you right so well and then uh and then after that i've got five weeks after that i've got the nightmare which will be uh at 220 also and then my numbers will probably be probably real plus squat huh 500 plus squat yeah definitely and then the i would like to bench in the 400s um and then for deadlift um i definitely want to clean up 300 keys in competition that would be 660 my current PR is 290. And then every time I look at the speed on that third pull, I think that I probably could have got 300 that day. Had I like, no, 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 there's no, probably. Had I lined up I my attempts correctly. I, so I think you probably could have pulled three to 310. I'm yeah, so no. mad at myself because I literally, <laughs> I, I looked at that chart three times and I'm like, motherfucker. And I reached on your third deadlift or your third squat. And I was like, all right, I already reached on this third squat. I don't want to fuck up his day. I knew how much the total meant to you. And I'm like, motherfuck. I literally, I was staring at that chart with that lady. And the lady literally looked at me like I forgot how to fucking call an attempt. And I'm just <laughs> staring at it. And I'm like, and I'm like, I'm like, I know how much he wants this. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, I guess I'm going to call this. And then literally, because like I saw how your second moved and I'm like, fuck, you have this. And literally, I'm like, maybe he's going to psych himself up and then you know, at least he'll be able to grind this out because he already hit it. I'm like, all right, maybe like, and then as soon as it went up, I'm like, 
fuck, we had more. I was. Dude, I, I did that myself. on my meet as well. Like, I opened really light. I made like a 20 kilo jump, and they were like, Are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. So, for full context, I was eight for nine at this moment. And my primary goal for the day, I told Kyle, was I wanted to go nine for nine and I wanted a 1500 pound deadlift. So, Kyle's handling me this whole meet. He's doing a good job. I'm eight for nine and I'm going into my last deadlift. If I miss my last deadlift, I'm at 1495. So I don't go nine for nine and I miss the 1500. So Kyle has two choices as a handler. He can either follow my game plan that I had come up with the night before and call for 640, which would give me 1510 and go nine for nine. Or he could try to bump it up for, you know, for not really any reason that we had discussed. And he absolutely made the right call in following the plan and executing. But if you go to my Instagram and you watch my meat recap, in my third deadlift, Kyle is over my, I think he's over my right shoulder and you can see him. And as it goes up, he kind of throws his hands up and he goes, oh no. <laughs> I was so pissed. It was a great and everybody day. thought I was happy. Literally everybody afterwards was like, man, that was a great call. It was such a beautiful pull. And I'm like, you don't get it. He had fucking more. Like, yeah. Yeah. He had another 40 pounds. <laughs> you, you and Jeremiah and Jeremiah turns around to see what you're like, what you're so fo- fixated on. Yeah. I was yeah. so pissed. That was a good one. All right, Kyle, what are your, uh, what's your predictions? All right. I am fuck seven. I would say seven Oh five, seven fifteen on the squat somewhere in between there. Um, like I, I, yeah, fuck it. No, 705, 711. 705 or 711 on the squat. Um, bench, I'm going to stay conservative on bench. I'm going to say I'm either going to break 402 on a second and then probably make a call on my third or I'm going to go for it and go for 419 on the, on the bench. Just because right now I don't have the best confidence with my bench right now. So 711 on the squat. Four four nineteen on the bench, and then deadlift seven forty seven fifty. Yeah, seven forty seven fifty. I think that's safe. I think I can. I think I can repattern myself, and if I can still, like, yeah. I mean, even with the way six eighty eight or six eighty three moved the other day, pretty much straight legging the piss out of it. It didn't move bad. It just didn't move well. So. I think I think that's a safe bet that in nine nine working weeks, ten weeks total, I can probably get that back and be comfortable saying that. Like I would say, yeah, even if I have to bump one of them down, I, I'm not gonna get the the 19 that I, I was trying to do jump 18 entirely, but I'll probably end up mid 18s, mid 1800 pound total. Looking at the way everything's moving right now. And you're nine weeks out and you are ass deep in max effort and like, like your max effort triples are fucking frequent. And then so is your dynamic effort work. It, the wave is really up high right now. So I think once I, I agree with Dalton, once you strip some fatigue and you, uh, yeah. you go like formal peaking and prep, I think it's going to be nuts. Oh, I, I'm so looking forward to what you do. So yeah. Uh, Especially on those max effort days. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I am so fucking trashed right now. Like, I'm, I'm not even, yeah. like, I'm normally like that. Which, by the way, that's the one thing that I don't think anybody knows about me is that publicly I will not complain about fucking anything. Yeah. Like, I'm one of those guys that goes, I don't want to fucking do this, then I fucking do it anyway. 
Mm-hmm. And like normally it's mid set or after the set that I'm like, yeah, that fucking sucked dick, but it's fine. It's done. Yeah. But like, well, I mean, I think that's for any high level lifter, which I would consider us to be higher level lifters. No, we're I'm never going <laughs> to. I don't think any one of us have ever not gone into the gym and said, you know, I really kind of don't want to do this today or I'm really not looking for this top set. But then just nut it up. It is like that's the end of it. We're not gonna not do it. I mean, we have our goals that we want, so I talk uh, which brings a really good uh light to Kyle's name on this uh conjugate or beatism. So, beatism, uh, you mean BDSM, dude? Hey, Dalton beatism, has, Dalton has some <laughs> of the most adorable way of saying things hypertrophy, <laughs> beatism are. So he says hypertrophy for hypertrophy, which, okay, I can't really fault that. That's whatever. Maybe he was born in Kansas or some shit, Wisconsin. <laughs> um, but then, like, the term the term BDSM, like, for bonded, you know, like, for that acronym. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? A bondage, dominance, sadism, and masochism? Jesus Christ, you guys make me feel so, like, uh, I feel like such a dirty human being. Come on, King boy. What's it stand for? <laughs> What's that stand for? What is, what is that? All right, so this is going from a health and fitness podcast to now it's just a, uh, a life now it's, sex Now it's podcast. my old podcast with my fucking wife. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're coming up on time. No. Anyways. So, Kyle, are you training at Recruit in the morning? Uh, yes, I am. Very early. Okay. I will. Yeah, I will be there with the homie at like 9 a.m. The homie? Yeah. Cool. My training partner, Hannah. Oh, Wait, okay. I, I want to say that. Michaels. I get a turn, don't I, guys? Oh, no, no, you, you just don't. Be- You're the no. You just decided to fucking like <laughs> shotgun wedding yourself into a fucking meet. You can like cry yourself to sleep at night knowing that you can't keep your ass on a bench. And apparently, even when you stay awake, oh. they're like soft knees, bitch, soft knees. Yeah. Do you have another meet on the horizon? Uh, no. I honestly, I think I want to compete in sleeves until I squat seven in a competition, and then. Seven Maybe go from sleeves. there. Yeah. Hey, how about you pick out of a mono and like do it soon? <laughs> walking out shit. The fuck Dude, out. I, I really am considering going to RPF or not RPF, WRPF yes. and maybe using the monos, but I, I don't know. I go back and forth. Like it would be fun. It would definitely be fun. Uh, I don't really have an you allegiance to any one federation. So, so you can serve yeah. so much fucking energy. I would I would definitely have to learn how to pick up a mono, so I would be relying a no, lot on you. you don't you don't do the typical fucking the retard pick coming out of the <laughs> the comp rack. Like you actually pick up square special. and then walk out. So like you know what I'm saying. Like most people, yeah, like no, I, I get it. Most people, some people in a fucking combo rack or like in a uh, Texas rack will pick. And then, like, they, like, stumble backwards quickly. And, like, it, it's one thing if that happens on meet day. I get it. Jitters, weight, whatever. Oh, you, yeah. You know what I mean? You may rush your pick. But what I'm saying is, is, like, when it becomes a repeated pattern of, like, you're, like, picking and then running with it, essentially, it, it just sets you up to have a really hard transition to a mono pick. And plus, yeah. like, there's a lot of people that can't pick with their feet where they want to squat. Which don't get me wrong, I know a lot of successful lifters who pick and then set their feet in place. That being like they'll pick narrow and then they'll widen out. 
the only reason I hate those people is because when I run platforms, they're a bitch to get back in the rack because they always get like three inches shorter. And I'm like, I fucking hate you people because I have to like fucking pick you up like I'm putting a child in a booster seat every time you're done with squatting. Like I was like, wee with 700 on your back. It sucks. But like, no, because you pick very close to where your feet normally go, you pretty much walk straight back. Yeah. You will have a very smooth transition. I would say best guess it takes you three weeks to get used to it. And that'd be probably a play around with it. I would say like three sessions. Yeah. Just remember the the one thing that I will the one tip that I will give you, just because I'm not there to be there with you in person to train, is put your feet in front of where you think you should have them. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that. As far as like picking, because, depending on where it unracks from. Yes. Because big thing that helps me is that I don't, I don't set up the same way on the mono that I do on an ER rack. So when I set up on an ER rack, I drive my traps into the barbell and then set my feet underneath me. And then mm-hmm. I pick from there. When I'm setting on a mono, I will grab the hooks, bring my chest to the bar, kind of like a, a multiply lifter will look down at the bar and put my feet directly underneath. And then that I grab sense. the barbell and swing my happy ass underneath. Yeah. Two reasons why I do that. One, I even my feet out. And I am pretty much the most cattywampus motherfucker in the world when it comes to setting my feet. Like one, I'll, I'll get done with a set and be like, that was great. And you're like, your one foot was like in fucking Egypt. I don't know where the fuck that foot was. But the other reason is that it always ensures that my toes are in front of the fucking barbell and it actually is over midfoot. And then when I swing my hips through to pick, I actually have them where I want rather than being like, man, I wish I would have had my foot like an inch and a half forward. Because once you pick and you have to set it down and then move your feet forward, it's the hardest thing to recover from. Like huge props to anybody who can pick and then set it back down and repick and be successful with no issues. That's that takes nards. Like that is that is fucking impressive every time yeah. I've seen it done. Which by the way, I've seen it done under a time clock in multiply with three meter fucking cast wraps on. I was damn impressed. Man had fifteen seconds on the clock left, had to set it back down and repick it. I think he had eight like 815 or 820 something on the bar and he repicked it and blew the fucking doors off it i that man has my respect forever for that because that's pretty that's yeah that's pretty impressive such composure such composure. it takes a lot of like calm mental thinking to be able to do that too Mm -hmm. 100 percent. yeah all right, well, All right, this is a pretty good place. Up signal. <laughs> yeah. I'm fading so, faster. I'm fading fast. Yeah. Steve, so, Steve, Steve where can they find you for the uh, for you fat, uh, fade away? <laughs> yeah, so for the rest of my audience who doesn't follow me on Instagram, I have an adorable uh, baby son. He's eight months old, and uh, he's teething, and he's going through all sorts of stuff right now. So my sleep patterns are kind of wonky, and I'm, I'm tired. So being up at 10 o'clock for me is like, Ooh, I haven't been up this late in months and months and months. So uh, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram uh, at Steve Pruitt. I'm Instagram at Steve's Lifts. Um, just hit me up. Cal? I am at the uh, worst power lifter on Instagram. 
and uh, don't ask me to coach you because you don't want me. <laughs> Follow him and the Fulson Initiative. Uh, get that out there as much as we can. Get that going across all these federations. You're making pretty good strides in USBA right now. So I am that's gonna doing be... my best. I'm, I'm trying not to like pick your brain on it on this podcast too much because I know you got a yeah. lot of stuff that works, but I'm interested in hearing more about that formally when you have more. Maybe after your yeah. spotting and loading seminar, we can have like a more of a full send uh, episode. Yeah. Yeah, no problem with that, which I can tell you some of it tomorrow too. So hell yeah, I'm ready to oh, hear I'm it. I'm going to miss out. I'm so sad. Yeah, you just <laughs> had to move to Texas. Subscribe to Dalton at Texas sucks.com. <laughs> and I like to jump into meets. Yeah. All that's going to be on my OnlyFans. So I'm addicted to meat prep. I uh, really am, though. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, Dalton underscore MM. Iron Circus Strength Nutrition. Just search ISCN. Uh, follow me on my website. I've got all that going on. Um, going to try to make better strides on Facebook after talking with Steve. So. Uh, <laughs> Go also if you want to jump in on the coaches meetings, we have those every Sunday, uh, sometimes impromptu apparently as well, 5 We're p.m. Eastern. Up. So, uh, <laughs> hey, but, join the group chat, <laughs> yeah. So, but all right, guys, that was that's pretty much it for this episode. So, all right, uh, Kyle, I will wrap see on you, that. Kyle, 